This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Hello friends, this is Trey, the host of Before the Peace, where we take you on a journey with an indigenous lens looking at the history of the peace region. This is the very first episode where I have no Jenna at all. The first time in close to a year and a half, it feels very, very weird, but we're still going to have fun before the peace is still going to be going on every single month to take a look at the indigenous members of our community, Treaty 8s here in the peace region. Today I chat with Shona Nelson, who has been the band manager of Doig River First Nation for just under 10 years. We talk about the growth of the First Nation, her mentors growing up, which includes the late Liza Wolf, the goals the nation has for the future, her duties as band manager, and more. During the podcast, we also talk about a few of her many accolades. Uh, We didn't have a chance to really list them all, so I do want to list them right now because Shona has done a lot over the past many, many years and has a lot of accolades. And she also talks about her love for academia and and studying in the podcast. But she won the Aboriginal Professional, not one, she was certified uh, Aboriginal Professional Administrator by the Aboriginal Finance Officers Association. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science at UBC. She has a Certificate in Applied Indigenous Economics She's the Masters of Public Administration through UVic. She was the 2017 recipient of the AFOA Canada Community of Excellence and Leadership and Administration Award and the 2022 recipient of the BC AFOA Band Administrator Recognition Award. We do mention those last two awards in the podcast as well. But as you can see, Shona has a lot of qualifications. Her resume is huge. And if you've been to Doig, you can see why it's run like a well-oiled machine. It's just, it's not just Shona, but she is a big, big piece of Doig River First Nation. So I'm so happy to have her on the podcast. She came in late. It was like a week notice and she was able to make herself available. And she's a very, very, very busy woman. So I just thank you so much, Shona. Before we get into the episode, I want you to to send me comments or any story ideas you have by emailing me at beforethepeace.energeticcity.ca. You can also head to our social media accounts, Instagram at beforethepeace and beforethepeace underscore on Twitter. Whether you want to look at the page and see what we're updating, Jenna is still updating the social media because I suck at social media. But you can also send us any of those comments or story ideas you have through social media as well. On top of that, it's time to get paid as per usual. This podcast wouldn't be possible with the, without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and vac trucks since 2000. They are built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Also, shout out to uh, Epscan Industries, who are known for building excellence safely. What led to your job with Doig, starting with where you went to school or any jobs that you had beforehand? Sure. Well, I actually grew up in Rose Prairie, so I have been uh, 
friends, with many of the community members. Actually, a lot of the elders uh, spent time with my parents. So Doig has always been a part of my life, just not necessarily in work. But um, after I graduated from university, I started my career as a First Nation practitioner with Northeast Native Advancing Society back in the late 90s. Worked there for a number of years, and then I worked at the Tribal Council for eight. And so that's where I really got my experience as a, a practitioner working with all the communities. So when the uh, band manager at the time was wanting to, to move on, uh, the First Nation chief, he recruited me at the time, told me to apply, so I did, and I'm still here uh, 10 years later. What led to you picking that path as a career? It just kind of showed up in my lap. I think, you know, graduating in the 90s uh, wasn't quite as lucrative economy back then, and, you know, the First Nations needed help. And they were willing to take someone on who just got out of school. They needed the help that bad. And I'm like, well, let's try it on. Like, you know, let, let's go there. Um, having grown up with the community and a lot of the members, it wasn't really a long walk, right? And uh, and I'm very fortunate that they've had a lot of confidence in me, allowed me to to try things on, make mistakes. And it's it's just been a great experience. And we'll get into it later, but I mean, obviously, it must have been a great experience that you kept working towards it, seeing the growth that Doig has and how you guys are running seemingly like a well-oiled machine. I mean, anything we talk about now for your listeners out there is pretty much all on your guys' website, which is awesome as well. Uh, you guys are just putting out history and things like that so that anyone can go there and, and learn, which is awesome because it's not like that in, in a lot of communities ac across the world or across Canada. Growing up, you were saying with the economy, um, it kind of just fell in your lap. Was there also a want there? You know, it's the 90s. There's still a, a lot of rough patches for Indigenous people in the 90s specifically. Um, was that a part of it too, kind of like wanting to help? Yeah, I think always, I always thought I would end up working with First Nations growing up out here or being part of their community. Um, my background's in political science. My core value is around social justice and, and making things right. And I think it aligns really well with my personality because it's important to me, so I don't like to quit and, and keep moving forward. But back in the 90s, you know, when I was first in university, there was no Indigenous studies. There was, there was not one course. It was, and we really didn't see things start to happen until the 2000s, right? You know, and a lot of the work in Treaty 8 territory, there was a lot of development happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were not realizing the benefits from it and really didn't have a say in, in how the land was being developed. So they started to make a stand. Right, and I just happen to be, I think, at the right place at the right time with my own values and and uh, interest in, in working with the people. And, and I think when you grow up with a community and you've observed what's happened and you know their story, it's pretty easy to get on board. And um, be it all the First Nations, I've been fortunate in my career to work with many who traveled up to Lower Post when I worked with Ninas up the highway, mm -hmm. spent time at Fort Nelson, all of the Treaty 8 communities, and they're all unique and they're all special, and I think I've been very, very lucky to learn fr from their members, their land users, their elders, former leaders, and uh, I think learning's not just in academia and classroom, but we also learn from our, our elders and our community members. Mm -hmm. And I mean, a lot of stories and guests' ideas that we've gotten for the podcast, even over the past year, have been from you, right? Like, you know a lot of, uh, all the elders, pretty much, pretty much everyone here in Doig, on, on top of all the other First Nations, like you're saying. And just as you're listing your resume and like talking to the people you've talked to, 
and saying your values and how you are as a worker, I think that's reflected in working with all these First Nations, right? Because they're not just going to let anyone in to help them out, right? True. I've been really fortunate to have a couple good mentors in the First Nation community. And I think because I've already had that history growing up with a number of the people graduating high school, they went to North Peace as well, Burt Bowes, um, they're familiar with you and they, they know your story and uh, you build trust. And that, and once it takes time, you know, and uh, not every relationship's perfect, but I think the longevity is that I work hard and I try hard. And mm -hmm. I think they've been really accepting of that. And at the end of the day, it's the goal for what you see for not only First Nations, but people in general, right? And these communities and mm -hmm. everyone coming together. Um, one question, do you identify as First Nation? Yep, my family is uh, Mohawk and Huron from mm -hmm. back east in, in Quebec. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. And so you were born and raised in Rose Prairie and then all your family came from Quebec or were you born and raised in Quebec? My parents were gypsies. Oh, I think okay. they came from Montreal <laughs> in the late 60s, actually, to Richmond. And uh, I was born in Richmond, and we moved up here in 1977. And uh, on the Greyhound bus, we came off, and I was five years old, and, and here I was. But uh, we always have a funny story. Jerry Attachi, he was a former chief, mm -hmm. uh, very influential in the, the Montney, the Obsassin case. And uh, he used to come over and visit. He goes, I remember you when you were little. And he was five years old, it was cold, and I would never have thought that I would end up hiring you uh, as band manager, right? So uh, him and uh, former Chief Norman Davis, they hired me. Oh, that's so cool. And, and you're talking to him all the time and seeing him every day, so that must be a cool experience as well, right? Yeah, it, you can't beat the experience of working with the Doig elders. They're so kind and inclusive, and they like to share their stories and uh, just spending time with them and their positivity and just learning. Actually, a lot of the, the Beaver elders, even the ones at Prophet River and Blueberry and Halfway that I've been able to connect with, their stories of resiliency, how strong they are, how they survived just harsh climates, poverty, you know, and, and they're still here. And, and they have a great attitude. That, you know, they just uh, want to be part of the community and collaborate and they have friendships and relationships and they contribute. And, it, and they're just, you know, it just makes it so easy to work with them. 100%, even from the media perspective with me over the past couple of years, kind of, you know, an energetic city kind of building a relationship um, with Doig. I mean, speaking with elders and having that opportunity is just, even if it wasn't on audio or for writing, it's still special. Like talking with Jerry, I know that was even a huge learning experience for Jenna and I. We were at the point where we'd been doing the podcast for a year. And as he's talking, I just sensed like we shouldn't be talking or like filling in the air. You know what I mean? Like when Jerry is talking, he's telling you a story, you're listening, and then he'd pause, but you know that he's thinking so that he's telling the story correctly. And if you listen back to that episode, Jenna and I, outside of the intro, did not say a lot. We, you know, we added some things here and there for Jerry to kind of align his thinking, but it was just a cool experience for us. And I forgot who we, I think I talked with, um, oh my gosh, um, 
Judy Desjardins' mom with Blueberry River First Nation. Sandra. Sandra. I talked with Sandra and I kind of asked her about some etiquette with talking with elders, and that was kind of one of the thing. But the biggest thing was, you know, you don't tell them a date and time. Like they'll they'll do it. It was just it's just interesting things you get to learn on top of hearing these stories. It's just been really cool to be able to do the podcast and learn those stories as well. So for you, being able to meet elders from across not only in the Northeast but I'm sure in BC in general and Canada must be huge. I just want to go back kind of to the beginnings you were talking about with your parents on the Greyhound bus and them being a little gypsy-like. What did you learn from your parents that has, um, that you've taken with you moving into, um, you know, working as a band manager and working with First Nations? Well, I think with my parents, my, my mom is Indigenous and um, a lot of the values around, um, and, and my father actually is Métis, uh, the things that we learned about is using everything that if you hunt, you use every part of that. Uh, we ate uh, out of the garden and what we grew and, and, and livestock and uh, those values of um, appreciating what you get from the land and giving back and taking care of it. Right? Those are the core values. And um, when you don't have a lot, you share with others. You always have your, your home is open to others. So with my parents, I think that, that they taught me that. And also, you know, in the 70s, I mean, it was a different time, like, you know, pre-internet, yeah. you know, like, uh, you know, we all had to melt snow sometimes, you know, and those, it's, it's crazy when you tell, when I tell my kids that, I said, you don't have it that rough. It's a different kind of rough, you know. <laughs> I hear uh, that from my mom still to this day. <laughs> yeah. So, so my parents, I know they are, uh, they're really proud that I work here at Doig. Mm -hmm. I think that they've spent a lot of time here with the community as well. And, um. And today is my dad's birthday, and oh. uh, so Jerry, of course, is calling my dad because they're friends. And uh, and speaking of dates that you mentioned, that Jerry remembers every date. Yes, that Year, was one thing. So does his brother Billy and, oh, yeah. and his late brother uh, Tommy Atachi. That's and, awesome. Uh, so it, it's phenomenal memory because I can't even remember the date last week, and and they remember it. But uh, so those values, respecting the elders, mm -hmm. and also. Uh, just being there to take care of the people. So taking that with um, the community, it's actually bigger than ourselves. So the work that we do here is about community. It's not one person. And uh, I would say that at Doig, they're always there to, to help everyone out. Even though at times have been hard and there's a lot of those um, experiences from colonization, yeah. right? And that has uh, disenfranchised families and communities. Doig always comes together. Even if they're mad at each other, they still come and help each other out. And uh, they always use that phrase, like, suneye, like, be kind. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a great value. One thing is why I brought up your parents again is um, just you saying that one phrase, the, the gypsy, like, mm -hmm. I, I just kind of stuck to me. And just now you describing them. Were they kind of open-minded? Were they very loving? Because that's kind of the sense I get from you and, and how you've, not only has the First Nations opened their arms to you, but you've done it right back. And yeah, I'm wondering I, if that's reflected from your parents. I think, um, you know, my parents left back east and they came out to try things on their own. I mean, mm. that was like the late 60s, 70s, yeah. right? Kind of the hippie day. <laughs> uh, and uh, trying it on, they came up north, got a quarter section. And uh, I think Doig opened their arms to my family. Oh, okay. And so I think that's, it's just always, it's always been there. Like my whole life, I've grown up meeting different members from the community through my parents over the years. And uh, it's, a, it's been a great gift. So you were talking about some mentors that you had growing up. Um, 
do you mind naming them, who they were specifically, and that, and if not, just how they helped you? Sure. Uh, in Indigenous and Treaty 8 country, uh, a couple of my big influencers would be uh, former Chief Liz Logan, Fort Nelson First Nation. She was a tribal chief at Treaty 8 when I worked there. And uh, just a, a real professional human being, mm -hmm. kind, hard on, you know, hard on actions, but not on people. And I, I really watched her when I was a, a young administrator at the, at the Treaty Tribal Association. Liz was always calm, did not get too, too emotional. And uh, I think it's a big skill to have when you're running organizations. Mm -hmm. um, another one uh, that has recently passed on is Chief Liza Wolf from Prophet River First Nation. She was an incredible human being. She was chief for 32 years mm -hmm. and led her community through some really tough times, like dire poverty, and they got their settlement, and you know their community has done amazing work. And uh, she's just a was a real beaver woman. She was authentic. I think I learned from her just to be a real straight shooter. Mm -hmm. She would just call government or industry out like nobody's business. And and she didn't have high high school education, but she was wise. And and she knew when someone was not being transparent or honest, she'd call them out on it. And I'm not going to say the words because they're like <laughs> on a podcast, but, uh, but she, would, she would call them out. And uh, I think learning from her and her experiences, uh, Liza and Liz were, were just huge influencers for me. You know. How have you take, taken some of the aspects of them and tied, the, tied it into your own journey? I think the, the learnings, like just not quitting mm -hmm. and just keep moving forward. Uh, both Liza and Liz were with their communities for a long time and overcome. You know, when I'd get, say, frustrated, oh, the sky's falling, this isn't working out, you know, I think about, oh, man, they had it way tougher. Get over yourself here. If they can do it, so can you, right? And they were really just great role models. And I, I appreciate, uh, sadly, we lost Liza this year. And, uh, but Liz is still around, we check in. And I was able to see her in January in Prince George, and it was just like like a high school reunion but, oh, that's, but that's incredible awesome. lady right very wise and very well respected and so i was like if i could be a bit like them that just keeps me going and it's i i cannot it's hard to explain they're just amazing well i i think one way of kind of explaining it is is for liza um after her passing wasn't it every first nation in northeast bc where like there was a lot of people at her um, I guess it was a memorial or vigil. Mm -hmm. I mean, just showing how many people, how much she was loved across Northeast BC, across Treaty Eight was. I'm, I'm sure in that in that moment where everything might have seemed dark with her passing, it, it it must have been a positive to see how much love was shared towards her. A lot of people had respect for Eliza mm -hmm. Wolf in the early days. You know, she uh, didn't have a vehicle. She used to hitchhike to a chief's meeting. Oh, wow. Like, like, and sometimes she'd be the only one there. She'd always be the first one to show up. And so she was so dedicated yeah, and loyal to yeah. uh, unity, collaboration together. Um, Liza was a big, uh, big advocate for that. And for a long time, you know, she was the only female chief. And that's a different space, right? You know, and I think about what, what they accomplished, like break trail for other female chiefs, you know, and setting that standard. I think that... Uh, Liza was tough as nails, all five foot, five foot two of her. And, and, and I, I remember when I first met her up at Prophet River, they were having a celebration for a, a community event. And uh, behind their old band hall, I think I was about 25 or so, we'd go out there to celebrate this education event. 
And there's the chief barbecuing the steaks, got kids hanging off of her. She's bar barking orders at everyone to get everything ready. I'm like, going, wow, that's the chief. <laughs> like, she's just doing everything because they had to, because mm -hmm. they didn't have anything. Yeah. And so I look at how going up, when we went up to her funeral and um, look at how much that community has transformed. It, it, it's really nice to see. I think that's the benefit of like having worked in Treaty 8 territory for a long time. You see these communities uh, changing and thriving and you're yeah. seeing their successes. You're seeing more children graduate. I mean, that in itself is just amazing to see or going to post-secondary or being helicopter pilots. You know, it, it, it makes me really excited that we're doing something right. Going off of that, I mean, throughout Northeast BC, all the First Nations in Treaty 8, from where you've seen them maybe in the past, let's say a decade ago to now, the overall state of Treaty 8, what are your thoughts on, on where where we're at right now? Well, I think the, the big thing is the Yahe decision that has uh, impacted many of our offices and the activities that we do with uh, the province, like you know, not doing permits for, for a number of, uh, number of months till they figure it out. And then... Um, the rest of us having to navigate in this new space in around land use, land use planning, shared decision making. And so it was not, I mean, I think the court case was good. It recognized the fact that, yes, cumulative effects has happened and, and we need to address it. Uh, the challenge is what do we do now and what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And how do we balance managing cumulative effects with having a strong economy? Mm -hmm. Because people have to eat, we have to participate in the economy. All the communities do, they've got families. And finding that sweet spot for for treaty rights to be recognized and affirmed, and also uh, respecting First Nations jurisdiction, but also recognizing the need that we have to have resource development. Mm -hmm. It has to happen to a certain degree. What that looks like, it's different now, and that's the hardest thing for most people. It's very organic. They don't know what to do. Mm. It's uncertainty. A big change all at once, right? Like we still have months after all the reports have come out. We still have people just asking us, and I'm sure the nations do even more, of like, well, what does this mean, this mean, this mean, this mean? And all you can really do is try and help the best you can or give them the documents from the government. And I'm sure you guys have, well, I know you guys have more background and insight into those type of things, but it's a lot to, to sift through, right? And it's a, it's a big change where we don't really know where it's going to go in the future, right? It, it is evolving, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's aspirational goals, and then, and we could work towards it. And then there's reality on the boots on the ground. Like I sit at that table for Doig with uh, our team. We have a small team and uh, it's a heavy load. Like, yeah. you know, we've set up our own land office. Like we have the office here, mm -hmm. but we had to actually renovate a whole house just to be able to do all the work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we weren't busy before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just this whole other level of busy. And, and we're navigating, like, hiring new staff mm -hmm. and uh, just growing. But that's a big space that Doig is in. Like, we've got our urban reserve now at Notche Commons. Mm -hmm. We're taking that to the next level. So we've been working for so hard at, for, on so many foundational pieces around governance, policies, procedures, finance, administration, many things. And, and then you have, sorry, the developmental company. I saw uh, Oh, Uju, Uju Developments. Ujo, right? Mm -hmm. Ujo, yeah. Yeah. So Uju, we uh, started this process back in uh, 2016, and we set up our own economic development corporation separate from the business operations of DOIG, the governance operations. Mm -hmm. So we separate politics from business, and Uju means good, 
like a good company okay. and doing things right. And so uh, we set that up. We actually had two existing companies. We consolidated into it and just uh, set that up. And uh, we have a great team over at Uju. And uh, yeah, it, it's worked well. Like, you know, when we separate politics from business mm -hmm. and they can focus on making money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a charter that explains, you know, the val community values and, and whatnot. And, and we do support it. And then there's the nation business, right? Mm. The, the political, the government functions. So with Uju uh, and the development, like the resource development, mm -hmm. they would handle that yep. mostly. But then what's happening, like what they're going to be working on would then come from the band office, right? Or from chief and council specifically. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. So th so our company operates separately. Like okay. we're connected, but uh, they're out there working with all the major proponents and all the service providers, and they collaborate on that. We have our contracting company, uh, which has trucks and some equipment, and they do oil field lease and construction, road oh, construction. Nice. Okay. So when we had the slide at the top of Peterson's Hill mm -hmm. last spring, we were happy to have our company do the road repair on that. And so that was, that was our members were really excited to see that. Oh, nice. Um, but we also use our own company when we're doing work here in the community. Right, so if we need trucks or we need things hauled or equipment, they, they help as well. It just grows off that uh, self-sustaining, you know, attitude that the that Doig has, right? Like yeah. you guys are very self-sustaining. That is a, a key theme for yeah. Doig. And just to loop back on Uju, they um, they have a lot of good partnerships. Uh, we have a great team over there that we collaborate with, and and making these opportunities. Primarily in resource extraction industry, Uju does that work there, but they've also got some other type of investments, and uh, and they're very diverse, which I think will benefit them in the long run and, and the nation. So again, just to say, two separate companies, obviously, but it's still owned by Doig River, mm -hmm. and there's still a hand in there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, like we're we're the shareholder. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. There but you go. but they don't get in there and manage the business. No, so like chief and council isn't putting their hand in things. Nope. Like it's run completely by them, but it's, again, benefiting the community, the First Nation as a whole. Yeah, okay. yeah. And part of the work that we did um, back in 2016, 2015, 2016, is we uh, worked towards our... Um, First Nations Financial Management Board System Certification. So part of that is going through a process. It's voluntary. You don't have to do it. But we chose to uh, go through it. We had a financial performance review, and we developed a financial administration law. And then last year, we completed the system certification, which is a very robust audit of all of our systems, our financial governance, human resource systems. So it's been quite transformational for the community to set us up for when TLE completed mm -hmm. and the work that we need to do with uh, the urban reserve. You know, um, we've always been a small First Nation because we don't have a large population. Mm -hmm. 341 this week. Oh, Hopefully really? 342 <laughs> by the end of next week. Council Brinkwood's pregnant, so oh. do any day. So uh, we're waiting for number 342. But um, with all the work that we've done, this heavy work in governance administration and transparency, grassroots decision making, members being part of the planning. We do comprehensive planning. We're just updating our comprehensive plan now, which is our checklist of, of all the goals that the members have that we um, that we work towards. So it, it's been really nice. So I think um, the governance work that we have done with successive chief and councils, they've all bought into the vision. They're very committed to running a very transparent community and government, mm -hmm. First Nation government, and uh, we have 
codes of ethics, all of that stuff that has to be in place, right? And um, I think that's where DOIG has really stepped up, great leadership from our chief and council and engagement with the community. So there's not really any surprises. Right? No. You know, everyone's on the same page. So mm -hmm. we're, it's just like, when's that gas station coming? It's like, how fast? Right? <laughs> yeah. you know, so uh, this week we've got our on-reserve micro station coming. And they're like, it, it was supposed to be here last week, but then we got evacuated the day <laughs> yeah, of the evacuation. Of course. of course, that's the day the gas station's supposed to show up. Right? So, anyways, um, but the one in town we're working on our on our gas station right now will be breaking ground this year on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but even going through that whole additions to reserve process to get the land in Fort St. John is, mm -hmm. is a big project. Oh, huge. Huge announcements over the past couple of years mm -hmm. uh, for DOIG and, and with partnerships as well. Um, one last question. I just want to go back to Uju. Um, do a lot of, is is the company pretty much made up of Doig River members? Yes, yes or no? Like, obviously the opportunity would be there, but I'm just mm -hmm. kind of curious. So we that. have uh, two members okay. that, that work at Uju. There's two parts. So there's Uju Developments, and uh, we have a COO, Kevin Eames, and then Wayne Roethlisberger, who's a member. He's our, our vice president of business development. So he's a member that works there. And then on the contracting side, we have Carl Puskupi, who's been with us for a long time. And he ran the other companies before. So he, he manages Uju Contracting. So there are opportunities for members to work in contracting or in with developments, some of the partnerships. We have had members working with those. And then also uh, they support our um, contractors. So some of the uh, band members have like a piece of equipment. But they don't have the big core or C-core certification. So, so they work with Uju and, and some of the partner organizations. We've got some great partners that, that collaborate with us. And so that, that supports the, the smaller entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. you know, in, in getting them going. So last year, we had one of our members, uh, Ashley and Dustin Kutcher, they have um, Dark Arc Welding, and they won one oh, of okay. the Indigenous Business yep, Awards, Young that. Entrepreneurs. And then just recently, they were uh, our guests at the uh, Youth Entrepreneur Conference that we had, and, and they were great. It was awesome to see them. So, uh, yeah, we have entrepreneurs. We have our first lawyer this year graduate, Stephanie Hitachi. We're really excited. Oh, yes, I saw that that post on Facebook. Because that's what I was going to say. I keep seeing, you know, your posts about, you know, not only opportunities for members, but also all these members doing very well in the world, which is just awesome to see. That's a big commitment by the community in education. Uh, that's always been super important to DOIG, that when they settled their Motney claim, and they set up their trusts. Uh, one of their biggest investments, continuous investments, is their stay in school budget mm -hmm. and making sure that kids have all the financial supports they need to graduate, you know, and uh, and then go to college or post-secondary trade. And it was actually in our council meeting today, we were just talking about that um, our children, doing members, should never have to worry about going to school. That that burden is gone because that's what the community works for. And the more kids that we have graduate inspires other kids, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people to go back to school. So we uh, have a great employment training coordinator, Amanda Gaucher, and uh, she's she's been organizing all sorts of training, safety tickets, ATV recently, and oh, partnerships, right. right? So we had the, the guys from Canfor doing the ATV training for them, or, you know, our partner Mountain View Safety comes into safety ticket training with our members so that they're always ready to go work. You know, if it's oil and gas or other sectors, mm -hmm. um, upgrading, you know, uh, career building stuff. Like we've we've had kids go to school for all sorts of different things and they don't all live at Doig. We have off-reserve members that live in other parts of the province, other provinces as well. 
you know, so we have a, a lot more students graduating and graduating from universities. So we don't have that big of a population. No, and it's just I keep hearing more and more stories. And, and like, my biggest one is, and I have a relationship with him, but Trail, mm-hmm. like, just from where he was at and to making a change and to, you know, hearing his story of, you know, his memories of Doig when he was a kid and how it kind of went full circle. And now he gets to be a part of what is happening here in the community, which is just, it's, it's incredible. It was incredible talking to him, but I think that's reflective of just all the, whether it be off reserve, just members in general are, are doing so well. It seems well, trails a great kid. Yeah. Um, he's a young man, so I shouldn't say <laughs> his mom is my friend. I went to school with his mom. So this kid to me, uh, you know, we were fortunate. Uh, surely his mom is amazing because she's very well grounded in culture and mm-hmm. his uncle Sammy. So Sammy is like our lead drummer now that since uh, late Tommy's passed on and they're very culturally grounded. And so Trail grew up that way. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't expect anything different. It was just creating the opportunity and the space yeah. for him to come back. And uh, and we set up that um, culture and language department a few years ago when we were able to secure some resources. So that it's been a great, not just Trail, but also um, his cousin Amy. Echo. Amy, yeah, she's awesome. And uh, they are, and they crack me up every day. <laughs> oh, Amy do does. <laughs> but you know, they're so committed to their culture and their mm-hmm. language and preservation, and they've gone to these different opportunities. And I just, they're able to have a career, a meaningful career, in their culture, mm-hmm. and I think that's amazing. And I, I think it really inspires them. And we've seen huge growth. Uh, with them and I'm really excited for trail like he's I never see him without a smile he's always happy yeah thoughtful Mm -hmm. uh, very articulate no uh, super proud of him Mm -hmm. and Amy and and Madeline Madeline Mm -hmm. has been doing language translation for years Um, I mean we have Billy who is our language champion Mm -hmm. right and uh, Chief Trevor's dad and, and Billy's 82 and he's still translating Jerry translates and we have a great relationship with um University of British Columbia, uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, that does translation with us, and they do these videos every week, translating words and uh, creating opportunities there. So another thing that's really cool about language is we've got the local education agreement with school district, mm-hmm. and so we're working with them in creating spaces to teach beaver language in the school. Yeah, I was talking with Trail about that. That's yeah. really cool. And it is because it um, opportunities like that or Doig Day, you know, it's great to build uh, relationships and break down barriers and perceptions, mm-hmm. and it also strengthens uh, confidence in our in our young people to be proud to be from Doig, to be done as a Sache Dene. So we've went into you know a lot about Doig and your place here, but I, I feel like I should have asked this at the beginning, but it's whatever. It's an hour podcast. Band manager of Doig, what does that entail? What does your job entail, Shona? <laughs> I mean, I know you uh, you you kind of have your hands in, in everything as, as a full example of the past half an hour we've talked about because you talked about finances, development, you know, different departments. You know, what are you doing as band manager? Oh, it's like other duties as required. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of the work I do, I work closely with chief and council. Mm-hmm. And uh, they set, I work with them and they set the direction. It's my job to operationalize it with our team at DOIG. And uh, so, there's, so there's that part, the administration, making sure that we have all the programs going. We have managing funding arrangements, you know, building up a team. And that's been a big project. Um, I think ensuring we have adequate resources, well, not just adequate, great resources, 
you know, to, to take care of the people, make sure that the financial house is in order. It's a big part of what I do, securing resources, uh, partnerships with industry. I, I do a lot of negotiations. I actually learned that from my experiences at Treaty 8 from Liz, Liz Logan, and, and some great people that I work with. So that's been something, because when I started at Doig, uh, finances weren't, weren't as solid, and so we had to go and find money, so we had to go make it happen, so you just do what you have to do, right? And I had a great council that supported me in that, and uh, very fortunate that they have let me try on new things, like, um, but there's that, there's managing people, infrastructure's been a big thing you see lately. Yeah. It's, it just shows up and you just get her done. You don't over. I was thinking like, go back to Nike, just do it. Yeah. That, that's doing. Just get it done yesterday. Right? I love that. I just watched that uh, air movie about the Michael Jordan shoe. I don't know if you've seen it with yeah. Ben Affleck, but it was amazing. Uh, anyways, going off of our basketball conversation before we started podcasting. Um, but yeah, being the band manager, it just seems like you're kind of overseeing everything. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's similar to like, a city manager, chief administrative officer. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you keep track of all of it? <laughs> oh, wow. And um, do you get any sleep, Shona? <laughs> sleep is a precious commodity. Uh, last couple of years. Um, you know, it, I think because I've been doing it for so long, it's just like a file folder. Mm. It just keeps adding to your brain. Yeah. But I actually don't do it that well. I've actually got an assistant now, finally. <laughs> and she's taken over my life, my schedule, Lacey. And, and, and it's been good. Uh, you know, simple thing. You see it on my desk? It's a post-it note. Yeah. I'm, Gen, I'm Gen X. A little bit old school that way. I, I try to use the phone and, and texting. I don't do so well with. But um, I'm getting there. But having to adapt. So I think that's just like the community. I've had to adapt and pivot and just build on that stuff. Um, I am a little tired lately. I just finished a graduate degree, so my, my brain is like egg salad. But Oh, wow. You just finished a graduate degree? Oh, yeah, convocation in a few weeks. Oh, my goodness. I'm, and I was just going to go into kind of your accolades, um, but if you want to talk a little bit more about that. So what is that, your convocation for which degree specifically, uh, sir? A master's in public administration from oh. UVic. Oh, wow. And uh, so it was an online two-year program great program uh, for anyone who works in public administration, government, mm-hmm. or, or in public sector who want to. So um, it was a great program and uh, glad to be done. <laughs> my, my husband and my daughter will be pretty excited and my dog that I'm just not like go to work, do homework, go to like. Well, I was just going to say you were studying while having this job at Doig. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So you didn't get any sleep for years then. Uh, well, I try <laughs> get it when I can. Um, I like school. I'm, mm-hmm. I am a, a big a big fan of being a student. Mm-hmm. I think that keeps me interested. But the nice thing about the program was um, I could apply it in the doing context. So I think it was really useful because my classmates um, got to learn a lot about our community because mm-hmm. I could write about it. There were yeah. so many relevant topics, yeah. and it was so useful for the work that we did here. Uh, great instructors. Funding for the schooling, did it come through Doig? A bit of both. Okay. Because the reason why I wanted to ask that is um, in my conversation with Trail, um, and I know there's some other opportunities where you guys will help out employees with schooling. Is that is that true? It's kind of like mm-hmm. helping yep. the employees progress, so that you're kind of it's it's that grassroots mentality, right? You're like you're 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 keeping it within Doig and training them to then give back to the community. Is For that sure, capacity building is huge. Yeah, yeah. So um, I prefer not to manage by consultant prefer to have our own people here and that's mm-hmm. a, a huge goal for doig is the um, member employment 
working in their own administration. So we always kind of set a goal of 70% uh, band members to be working with in our administration. So right now, we've got a lot of younger people because mm -hmm. we've got some people retiring or trying on different things. But continuously improving, yes, everyone's constantly upgrading their skills, yeah, including the band manager. Which is awesome because you don't, I mean, I think it's more so now, especially after COVID, people are, I feel organizations are realizing that they want to, like you said, have that capacity building, but they want to keep it with the people that they have, at least those people that they trust, and then they can build off of that. And so that's just why I wanted to bring it up, because it seems like, you know, even with new faces coming in, I think Lacey just came in within the last year and a bit, yeah. um, but coming, it doesn't feel like she's new. It feels like she's a part of the family, or, and even with Trail, like when I was talking with Trail, and he said he'd only been doing it a year, and I was like... It's, when I walk there, it seems like you've been there for 10 years. You know what I mean? It's just that 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 community feel. You can definitely feel it every time you come in here. And, uh, yeah, now this is me just talking about how much I love Doig. But, like, even coming in, just seeing the smiles and people talking and, and just the energy is, is always good, it feels. Maybe I'm just coming in at the right times. But <laughs> that's definitely what I get from the First Nation. Is that like for you with your busy schedule, um, with when you had school – are you still coming in with a smile every day? Um, I guess maybe it just depends on the day and what you have on your plate because you're so busy, but I, I just find it would be hard to, to have a, not a smile coming in. I agree. Every day there's a smile. Uh, I've got elders and community women members waiting for me and telling <laughs> me and, and teasing me every day. Uh, like you said, uh, Sammy, come by. He calls me Hillary and I call him Bill. And you get all sorts of names and, uh, and they tease you and they've always got something to share. And, oh, they're just awesome. Like, there's not a day that I don't like coming to Doig. Um, they're just fun to be around. And there's no weight loss here because we eat all the time. <laughs> and so that's how we manage stress. And I'm just kidding. Um, I was just going to say, maybe that's why I come in, because the past couple of times I've came in when there was food, and then everyone's like, Trey, go get some food. I'm like, well, look at me. Of course, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> yes. No, uh, the deep fried manic is the killer. Yeah. If uh, Margaret Davis is there, she makes it. It's, it's so good. There's uh, nothing better than Maggie's bannock. Uh, at the, um, uh, the spring... What a, the spring tea dance? Mm -hmm. um, Connie Gray has brought in these dessert bannocks. The bannock dessert. Oh my gosh. I will never be able to eat anything other again, but those, no, that's what I thought in they the moment. Like they were so good. donuts or something. I heard about it. I wasn't there, but Brittany told me and oh, she, and she, she, so she said it was awesome. Yeah, so she, I don't know. I'd have to ask Connie, but I think she like, I think she cuts them and then she puts like the filling in like it's almost like a sandwich but then she has it at the top i don't know anyways it was delicious when she brought them in before they brought them into the gym the doig gym connie says trey come here into the kitchen and gives me one you try that dude oh, connie's awesome <laughs> oh her, she her, is if we have meetings in town i'm like just book on her breakfast <laughs> and it's like always the same Connie, just make me that breakfast. And and it's like breakfast bannock with bacon and cheese and biscuits. Oh, it's so good. I got to try that one in Bugger. Um, moving back to the accolades, Shona, um, a couple of things. Like I know over the past couple of years, you've won a couple of awards, and I, I can't list them all off. I know uh, the Community Excellence Award, I believe, was in 2017 when it was first um, brought forward. You won that for Finance Management and Leadership and Administration Award also last year. Sorry, those are two separate awards. Um, what is it like for you? Because obviously you're not doing this job for these awards, but what's the feeling like getting 
the recognition of the work that you're putting in because it's very obvious that you're living and breathing Doig River First Nation. So what does it mean to get those awards for you? Well, the, the one in 2017 was uh, a really neat award to win for the community. And uh, it goes back to it, a story that Jerry told me. And, and Jerry said that this was Smith in the 80s or early 90s. He said, I was talking to this guy and these Jerry would go to all these meetings, right? And it, it obviously bothered him. He said it to me, told me the story like, you guys at Doig are like 20 years behind the rest of us, you know? And I know that bothered him. So when we won that award at the International Conference for AFOA, it was just awesome because there was uh, Chief McCaddehay and uh, Councillor Jerry before he retired and, uh, and Councillor Junior Davis. And they all eat, breathe, live Doig on their sleeve. And so when Jerry had that award, it was like he'd won the Academy Awards. <laughs> it was, it, for me, it was so meaningful for him because he talked about that story oh, and how, awesome. how much it meant to him. No, we're not behind actually we're ahead we're doing great things and so um that just felt great for them to achieve that recognition mm -hmm. you know and to be a part of it right mm -hmm. and know? i was gonna say you were a part of it too and i i think you know trevor jerry and everyone who is kind of leading the way for doig over the past you know decades um you're coming up right there with them right like you're helping all that hard work and uh helping it come to fruition we were we were talking about um the kind of the departments here in Doig and you said with the language department just a couple of years ago, are there a couple some other departments you guys are thinking of building off of with Doig or are you guys kind of good where you're at right now? Oh no, there's more to do. Yeah. Um, I kind of assume so. So the other, so the culture and language department is, is a big one. The early learning and childcare up top, uh, in the other facility in the passive house building, um, that's a relatively new one. Super important to have, uh, investing in early learning head start program. Mm -hmm. For the, for the kids in the summer program. Um, I think that's where we'll see the long-term results of, of young people who live on reserve graduating, right? You know, they talk about earlier intervention. So that's one. Another big department that we have are starting on is what we call our lands governance. And that's a unique one to uh, managing all of our reserve lands. So there's our lands department that deals with the territory-wide stuff, like on crown lands, treaty, treaty implementation. But then our... Um, Lands governance will support land code. So we have a land code vote coming up. And land code is where we um, opt out of 44 sections of the Indian Act on lands management, on reserve lands management. So we will have our land code and we will build own, our own land laws. And it's very similar to like where you have municipalities develop their bylaws and all that development and how that happens, managing dogs, things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And so that department... Um, it's just in its infancy, and so that one will be growing out. So we'll be working. We actually learn a lot, like from uh, the regional district and uh, city of Fort Saint John, the mm -hmm. way they set up their departments, mm -hmm. and how we look at development so that we're seamless and we're consistent. And so that's a big area that we will be growing, and also like with property taxation. Mm -hmm. So we got to do some taxation laws. So there, there's lots happening for Doig in the areas of asserting jurisdiction. Did that come out of the TLE? No. No, this Tealy, is just something you guys totally are separate. So, okay. so TLE is the historical claim mm -hmm. where they didn't um, count the members properly and they yeah. had a shortfall of the land and then the compensation to go with that. Everyone kind of gets TLE mixed up with all this stuff. So, yeah. uh, so TLE was a specific claim to address a grievance, a historical grievance, uh, but the reserve and the land code and all of that stuff is all about opting out of the Indian Act mm -hmm. and asserting jurisdiction okay. and self being a self-determining nation. 
right? So we've done that with, uh, I talked earlier about the First Nations Financial Management Board. Uh, you subscribe to the First Nations Fiscal Management Act and you go through that process. Mm -hmm. and, and part of what we do, it sets up our financial house so that we can access large pools of capital to do urban reserve development or, or other investments. So through the First Nations Finance Authority. So um, like for example, municipalities have municipal finance authority. They do you know, long-term debenture financing. This is set up for First Nations. So a recent example is in uh, Atlantic Canada, you've heard that the First Nations acquired that big um, fish pr production there, uh, Clearwater Sea Oh, yeah, yeah. They did that through the First Nations Finance Authority. So oh, they had okay. to have all these things in place mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Mm. And so that's one big area that we've been working on over the last eight years. Land code supports that. And then the taxation laws, the work that we're doing with the First Nation Taxation Commission. So um, people say we don't pay taxes, but actually we do. <laughs> <laughs> and they will be paying, some people will be paying taxes on our reserve. So the reason why I brought up the TLE, because um, obviously there was um, the, the compensation there, but there was portions of land too, right? Mm -hmm. Like through the TLE. So that didn't change what you guys have for the lands department as well. Like it kind of, I guess it's just going to help it once you guys yeah. have the department because then you'll be able to set yeah, that up too. So some of the lands that uh, are slated for TLE mm -hmm. won't convert to reserve right away. Oh, it's okay. a process called additions to reserve and you have to go through this protracted process with Indian Affairs and um, they have to make sure that we deal with you know, existing tenure holders, permits, mm. deal with all those notations so of interest. multiple years yeah, of work. Yeah, okay. like even our um, in-town property that we converted to reserve uh, at Nache Commons, like Gatakwa, that took three years. That's fast. Okay. That was like we had someone working really hard to help us with that. Some of our uh, lands that we've selected uh, through TLE are in the bush. They've had development happen on them. So we have to make sure the land is clean. So there has to be environmental site assessments mm -hmm. done. There has to be some restoration work before Canada will accept that because the land has to be clean to convert to reserve. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a lot of upfront costs. So some of our uh, TLE resources will be allocated there, but it's not an overnight thing where it just happens like that. Like there's a perception, but it's not. It's actually quite a, a long and expensive process, uh, especially when you're dealing with um, the federal government. Oh yeah, I cannot imagine. So. <laughs> um, you were also talking about how you kind of look at the PRD and Fort St. John just for their um, their land management, I guess, their land department. Uh, how huge has the partnerships been outside of Doig River First Nation, you know, with other municipalities? How has it helped the growth of Doig? Like, would Doig's growth be possible um, as fast as it has been? I mean, I wouldn't say as fast or where it's at right now if it wasn't for, you know, Fort St. John and, and other municipalities. I really think um, Fort St. John, we've worked hard with them over the last decade uh, to build a relationship, come to a good place uh, of understanding. And so um, had a lot of uh, conversations with our former mayor, um, Lori Ackerman, and, uh, and, and we got a champion from her. I think uh, all of the city council in Fort St. John has been a great advocate for us once we kind of worked through the process to do our MOU and our municipal service agreement. And uh, our current mayor, Lilia, is very supportive. Always, They always think of us and, and reach out. And uh, we've got a great relationship now with the city of Dawson Creek. Uh, mayor Bumstead, well, former Mayor Bumstead works with us quite a bit. He, he's <laughs> like, we call him Ambassador Dale. And he's always out. He works with us on a number of uh, files and building relationships. Mm -hmm. So... 
And then the regional district, you know, a great bunch of people we have worked with for a number of years too, educating, and we'll be signing off on a, an MOU with them this year. So oh, nice. super exciting. And we're starting the same with Dawson Creek because we've acquired some land there and we'll be looking to do an urban reserve in Dawson Creek oh, as awesome. well. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So is this the first time it's going public? Did we just get a yes, no? No, no people know we've acquired the land. Because I knew of the land, but I didn't know it was uh, announced at the MOU. But anyways, hey, let's well, call it breaking news. on no, We're working <laughs> towards an MOU. Working yeah, to, yeah, working yeah, towards yeah. Early okay. days. So uh, awesome to work with uh, Mayor Dober and his, and his community and council. That's awesome. Yep, no, Dawson are great neighbors. We recently had uh, an excellent leadership table meeting with uh, uh, Ambassador Dale Bumstead there facilitating <laughs> it. We had uh, some chief and councils uh, from West Morberley and Prophet River, Fort Nelson, ourselves. And then we had uh, Mayor of Taylor, Fort Nelson, people from the Ro Rocky, Northern Rockies, PRD, Dawson, Chetwind, Tumblr. It was awesome. We had a great leadership meeting and collaboration and just... Um, common interests mm -hmm. and, and how we can work together. So that has been a big change, I would say, in the last six or seven years, is this uh, stronger relationship with local government. We have a lot more in common with them than people realize. And uh, we have smaller populations of higher interaction with our citizens, you know, and, and there's similar issues that we work with. The only difference with First Nations is, you know, the municipalities are primarily dealing like with water, sewer, you know, what's within the scope there, but we deal with three levels of government, three mm -hmm. orders of government. We're dealing with child welfare, we're dealing with social assistance, we're dealing with health, you know, many, many economic development, land management in, in different areas. And so we manage three orders of government, small population, mm -hmm. never enough funding from Indian Affairs, so you have to bring it in yourself. Mm -hmm. And so those partnerships then help with that, right? Yeah. Why do you think it took so long? Is it just the work that had to be put in to have that that partnership across the region? Yeah, I think so. And mm -hmm. Doig uh, started it back in 2009 um, before I was working at Doig and they had taken initial steps because they were thinking about having uh, an urban reserve back then mm -hmm. and, and collaborating. But, you know, um, there's just been a lot in the news. There's been a real shift in Indigenous awareness and mm -hmm. in I would say in the last seven, eight years. 100%, like yeah. it, it was non-existent when I went to school. Like, mm -hmm. like I remember graduating grade 12 and I was in Montreal and that's when the Oka crisis was there. And my family was there, you know, uh, on the other side of the bridge. And I think about how far we've come since then until now. Although there's still issues like land back and there's all these diff yeah. different disputes. But I think um, government has come to the realization that you actually have to work with First Nations and you have to honor treaties and... They were pretty dismissive before. So it, it has been a big paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Like I think, and, and Fort St. John, I'm super proud of Fort St. John. Like, you know, it doesn't always have the best reputation for, for being inclusive that way. But I think we could tell another story in a lot of the relationships and engagements that we've had over the years. I, and I feel that our community, Doig, has done a good job in, in building those bridges. I Off of that, like the conversation bringing, bringing Trail back up is when I had him on the podcast. I talked to him about how, you know, him growing up in Fort St. John, I had heard a lot of stories from those who grew up in Fort St. John way before him, like, you know, different generation and how it was pretty bad there and how it had been described as the wild, wild west and the racism was rampant. And I asked him, you know, growing up, how it was like for him. And he's like, he said he never really had any problems, which, you know, maybe it was on a minor scale. Um, I'm sure it was still there and maybe he just didn't notice it or it just didn't come to his head. But 
it did definitely show me that like, okay, the needle's moving, right? Because Mm -hmm. even talking about you in school, like I'm only 31. I graduated in 2010. I didn't learn anything about residential schools uh, in school, nothing. And so now to hear like when I asked Trail about it, he's like, oh yeah, we had a, you know, a separate class for the indigenous students that would be able to learn some of their culture. I'm like, that's huge. Like to me, that's like, even it might seem smaller to someone else, but I think that is just such a huge thing to even just have that classroom, even if it's just like five or six students to then give them a chance to be a part of their culture and and really learn and not have that, you know, go away is just huge. Right. Yeah. And I think we all benefit from it. Like I'm a little older than you, just like 20 years actually. (laughs) Uh, so graduating in 1990 when the high school was brand new, Mm. uh, Dan Davies and a, and a few counselor Stewart, we all graduated together and, uh, it's come a long way, uh, knowing, so actually, when my husband graduated the year before, there was one Indigenous graduate, and it was Connie Gray Eyes. Really? Yeah. And I remember when Connie graduated, she got a standing ovation from her classmates. Oh, that's so it was awesome. a big. It was a big deal. So we look at, you know, and that wasn't that long ago. Well, mm. it was 30 years. But <laughs> um, the change, and even from when my own kids went to school, and, uh, and I sat on Indigenous Education Center Committee for years, and just making those transitions. And I think um, we continue to do that positive work. And I think the, one of the best acts of reconciliation um, is Doig Day. And I think every kid that has uh, gone through Doig Day has had a great experience. You know, coming out to the community on mm-hmm. the bus and they get to, you know, see people with skinning moose hide and singing songs and making that bannock and, um, and drumming and dancing. And my nieces and nephews, who are all adults, they all remember coming out to Doig, and now my great nieces and nephews come out to Doig, and I think that that is like reconciliation and action. And it's mm-hmm. a may not seem like a big thing, but it actually is. If you think about it's been going on for over 30 years, and you have four or five hundred kids a year in grade four, and then that just perpetuates on how many kids are familiar with Doig. Even, even teachers are excited to go too, right? All right? Yeah, and I think we get more excited about it. Like, it was supposed to happen this Thursday, but we've postponed it to yeah. June 8th and uh, cannot control the wildfire yeah. rain. But um, to me, I think that was a real commitment by Doig uh, following the Montney claim when there was some incidences of racism. Mm-hmm. And, and they felt the best way to do it is through education. And so... Uh, our elder Margaret Davis and many of the community members, uh, Jerry and Gary and all of them were there just to, to keep that going. And now it's just like this big event. We have, everyone was blowing up my phone and email this week. What's happening with Doig Day? Is this is still <laughs> happening. I said, yeah, it's going to happen. It's just maybe not today, this week, you know, it's going to happen. Right. You know, so when we had COVID, that was really hard on mm-hmm. the kids that missed out on that. We felt terrible about it and we really missed having the kids. You know, it's, it's, and that's the one, like Doig always comes together, the members for events like that. They all contribute. We're going to have rodeo this year because we had to hold off on rodeo, same thing. So, um, but last year's Doig days, didn't you allow a couple other grades who would have missed it during COVID? No, but what we did do is like anyone who wants to come out, just come oh, okay, out. okay. I thought I thought there was additional grades, but yeah, like Manav Preet, a reporter at Energetic City, he told me that it was being pushed to June, and I'm like, oh man, because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to this one because I've I didn't get to go to Doig Days last year, and I mean, most of the good things I've heard about it 
all from adults. <laughs> and the kids have fun too. Yeah, they, they I, I, of dog. course. But yeah, and they got their dog day shirts and everything <laughs> at home, and uh, you know that's just something that bringing the kids in to have that positive experience, not something to be afraid of, mm -hmm. and that this is a community, and, and the community is just celebrating the best of their culture. And what's not to love about that? Yeah, well, even back then, like, uh, chief and council could have just easily, like, you're talking about the, the moments of racism after the Monty case, they could have just stayed quiet. They could have just stayed in the community. But instead, nope, open their arms and welcome people in. And, like, with reconciliation, and I'm sure you would agree with me on this, is, like, it's not going to be tomorrow. Like, it's going to take time. And I think that's, you know, a lot of First Nations have been working on reconciliation way before the word was reconciliation. And that's what everyone was saying. And I think Doig Days is an example of that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, reconciliation's a process. Mm -hmm. um, a lot has happened. Like, it's, like we've talked about, like, the last 10 years, uh, heightened awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, people have to process that and understand that and, and not be afraid of it. I mm. think it's like, we just, it's a journey. Like any relationship, you think about civil rights in the US, yep. it's still a journey. Yep. Maybe it's a bit more challenging right now. So it's, um, but the nice thing about Doig and, and Chief Trevor has always said this, he says, ask me the hard questions. I'm not afraid, like mm -hmm. I'm here. We're transparent like we did with our TLE World Cafe in 2018. He goes, I don't want you not knowing the truth or the facts. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about it. And what I've found with a lot of people, once they hear that story, they hear the facts and get the true facts, not this perceptions or half-truths or assumptions, they get it, like, mm -hmm. understand it, right on. Let's let's work on this together. How can we collaborate together? Um, and I think that's like the one of the best things about Doi culture and the leaders, like it doesn't matter who's been in council, really about building positive relations mm. and, and putting and in the work and that's, that's just yeah. what i've seen is it seems like that is a trend yeah. is like the relationships and just working and being kind and inclusive that's mm -hmm. a community value that mm -hmm. they have in all their documents and that is something that they, that they really live by no one's perfect but i think overall like uh when you come into the office here at doig it is friendly and welcoming because mm -hmm. they are mm -hmm. right and I they want so. to see you and they like who's that mm -hmm. guy and they want, and they'll probably know your whole family. And they'll tell you like when they met them in like 1988. You know, so so and and who's your relatives? Yeah. Right. So very relational and uh, engagement with Doig. Like, and this is a big piece of what we're doing. Um, I've been working on a paper with a colleague of mine on uh, meaningful stakeholder engagement. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's going to be published next year, and we're really excited about it. And it's you know, hopefully be a good tool for like industry and government to really think about how they're engaging with community. I'm, we can't speak for other communities. We can only just speak for DOIG, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and how, how to work with us, how it, uh, having good relations, you know, is beneficial for both industry and government, providing certainty, you know, and, and good communication and uh, being respectful of all the parties. Uh, we all share the land, right? Everyone has to benefit from it. Right, and we need to leave the land in, in a good condition, right? So it's sustainable for future, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and that's a bit of a shift, right? We're seeing a, a big uh, change, you know, climate change. We're seeing forest fires. We're having to work together yeah. on, on all of that, you know, floods, and so it's it's not just, you know, everyone has to come together and talk and come up with solutions, you know, and being able to do that respectfully is, you know, grounded in good relations. 
I can't remember off the top of my head. Last week, you guys had a groundbreaking. Was that for the what? No, what was it for? So our groundbreaking is for a new learning center, cultural learning center. Learning center. Okay. So from here, you'll see it's up. It's in between the the church and here. That, oh, okay. That flat area. Yeah, and that is going to be some uh, classrooms and some offices and a, uh, a sound room for Beaver language recording. Ooh. Yeah, and high tech, right? So um, that was on the community's list is to have a education training center. So uh, we focus a lot on um, there'll be digital technology so we can do adult learning in the community. We used to have... An old ATCO trailer. It was a little rough. So so we were able to secure some funds through um, investing in uh, Canada's infrastructure program, which is joint between uh, Canada and British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And then some of the funds from uh, the agreement that we signed, revenue sharing agreement with the province, we've allocated to uh, pay for the rest. So healing the land and healing the people. And so culture is a big way to do that. And so once it's set up, how is that going to work? Is it going to be like workshops or is it going to be a part of the curriculum with the um, early childhood? uh, What's the whole word there? Early childhood education education (laughs) over there. Like, is it going to be kind of how is it going to work essentially? Well, there'll be classrooms. Yeah, we can do workshops. We can do training Mm -hmm. Uh, instead of having training in the gym here. Doig Band Hall, we're busy. We just don't have enough space, literally. So uh, workshops, uh, education, upgrading. If we want to do, um, like, digital learning, you know, maybe we will hire a teacher full-time. Oh, nice. You know, so we could partner with the school district on that. And for the students that maybe don't want to travel to town, because that's a long commute. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, so um, they have that opportunity. We learned a lot through COVID about different ways of learning and using different technology and... Uh, I think that'll be a great space for it. But there's also offices upstairs because we're running out of office space Mm -hmm. and another meeting room. And so Uju Developments will have an office here too. They have one in town now at our urban reserve. Mm -hmm. They just, we should have a groundbreaking there too. Uh, But this one has been in the works for a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so lots of infrastructure happening and the water, water treatment plant, which is up there as well. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know about the water treatment plant. Yeah, no, I swear it's like each week it seems like there's something new going on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta, we got to phone you guys instantly and talk about this. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up, and we were just getting into some very good topics at the beginning, but you um, specifically mentioned with your mentors, um, you know, being women in those roles as chiefs and uh, i think it was was it liza you said was the one of the first um for fort nelson first nation for profit river profit river sorry um being a woman in your role having a leadership role what does that mean to you how important is it held for you not only seeing your mentors and what they were able to do being women and uh, being highly regarded in in their positions to where you are now and basically <laughs> having your hands in everything here in Doig River First Nation. Do you, I imagine you don't think about that too much, but does that seem important to you? I see that I've been fortunate to have role models and mm-hmm. people that took that time. Like, like they always say you have a village. So I've been fortunate to have good female mentors uh, that have invested their time in me. And so in my role at Doig, I have some, a lot of young women and young men too. Mm-hmm. It, it really doesn't matter. Like, no. you know, but, um, you know, for my kids, it's important for them to see that their mom can, can work yeah. and be in a professional role and um, 
and be their mom too and be their biggest basketball fan uh, <laughs> or hockey mom or, or dance mom or swim yeah. mom, whatever it is that week. And so, yeah, I do think it's important. Uh, in the back of my mind, if I can take the time to mentor some of the young uh, people here at Doig into leadership roles, I have two young women on council. I have Councilor Brittany and Councilor Starr. Uh, Starr I've worked with since like my time at Treaty 8. So it's been great to watch them grow and thrive and, and hopefully I've been able to contribute you know, a little bit to their success, right, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a, I think it's a, well, it's not the 90s anymore, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. a different space, right? We're 2023, there are more female executives. Yeah. And yeah, like all the skills that you learn growing up and you see what moms do at home, mm-hmm. you apply the same skills oh, yeah. in the workplace here. You're managing relationships, you're multitasking, mm-hmm. you know, you're shuttling people around. Um, it's just, it's a little bit different. But uh, for myself, work is um, is a great place to be. It allows, Doig allows me to be very creative and problem solve every day. It's mm-hmm. never boring. And um, I think that's one of the great things about working in First Nation is there's so much stuff to do. Um, it, it, like, I like to be doing stuff. That's just yeah, You're never just bored, essentially. No, uh, maybe a little tired some days, <laughs> yeah, maybe a little yeah. uh, on the other end at times. <laughs> well, you need to be getting that sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> you know, but but um, there's too many good things to do. And when those opportunities arise to do, make change and do good work, we have to jump on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't see these opportunities all the time. Mm-hmm. So the space that we're in, you know, um, we got to keep moving forward to, to make things right mm-hmm. and to set our members up for success. And, and prosperity, and not just like our community, but kids in Fort St. John, right? You know, our, our whole community thrives when, when we have successful moms and, and women in roles as well. And um, so I think that, you know, we all contribute to the economy, you know, man, fe- male, female, otherwise, you know, and, um, but it is, it is a little bit different. There wasn't as many opportunities for women when I graduated mm-hmm. from university. And so the First Nation path presented that. Yeah, no, and, and obviously as a as a male, it is weird asking that that question, but I think it's it's so important because you still see a lot a lot of organizations where you know it's you know it's just men or you know these bigger corporations, and then you know you come into Doig. I've never once thought that there's more men, there's more women, there's more this, there's more that. Like like you were saying, you're seeing everyone when you walk in the doors. And you start to see that more and more with organizations. Um, you know, we had, well, we've had um, a female mayor in Fort St. John for over 10 years and no one's blink. I mean, maybe some people, but most people aren't blinking an eye at that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, I find it so cool that, that yes, you look 10 let's say 20 years ago, you know, when you were growing up, it's almost so heard of. And now it's just, it's not. And I, I think most of the females in these leadership positions, um, now who, who've went through those hard times really had to work to break that ground. And now you can be a mentor for another female going into that position or into any other position and and share your advice to them. And then hopefully it's not going to be as hard for them. Right. Yeah, I mean, everyone's got to have their journey. Um, yeah. We all have to go through those learning experiences. And, and my, I guess hard is, yeah, they had it really tough. Like, I look at my life, I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, it wasn't perfect, but, you know, great people in my life to encourage and, and support. And, um, you know, our family, we've always worked hard. My grandmother's probably my biggest influence, uh, my dad's mom. And she was a single mom. And that was tough back then. 
really tough. And when I think about what Liza had to go through, you know, it just it motivates you. It's like, what are you yeah. feeling sorry about? Get it together. Like, you know, like really you have a roof over your head. You have people that love you. You have opportunities for education. Is it easy? No, but it shouldn't be. You've mm -hmm. got to go through that journey, right? And everyone has their journey about learning and um, work ethic, mm -hmm. you know, and contributing back to community. I think that's a, it's a big thing that we need to instill in people uh, and with our young people. It's like, it's one thing to have all these opportunities. We create them, but the hope is that you'll come back and do the same, mm -hmm. you know. And It's and not just about that person. It's yeah, about the whole community. Yeah, right? and I think that that's when I, when I think of Trail and I think of Amy coming back, that's what it's about. They're coming back to work for their nation and to grow it. And we have people that... Like for some of us, went away to university because there was no UNBC at the time. Mm -hmm. or we went to the college and we come away and we come back and we contribute to Fort St. John. And I think about some of my classmates doing great things. We have an MLA that I graduated with, right? Good guy, city councilors. Mm -hmm. You know, that a uh, ton that have volunteered. Some are teachers. I just mm -hmm. ran into Jarek Salinas the other day. He won an, a recognition for teaching. And that was great. You know, those people that I went to school with. And... Um, but now we're the older ones. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, our young people, those that go away, come back and contribute and, uh, and grow our, our, our economy and our community in Fort St. John. There's some really uh, great female entrepreneurs in mm -hmm. Fort St. John and leaders in different roles. Mm -hmm. And there's also a, a lot, lot of them. Yeah, and men yeah. too. Yeah, and, 100%. And you've seen a real paradigm shift in values and approaches and collaboration. And communication it's like you said it has made that shift um from when it was like when i went to school and graduated in the 90s it was a little bit different but that's okay right and yeah it's going to be different hardships now and not to say the route for anyone's going to be easier but it's definitely you can't compare it to back then for sure no i remember graduating from from university and uh that was your internet come out <laughs> so, dating myself <laughs> I remember writing papers at the old printer and, and, and now it's like oh my god just going online and it's Google and, and Google Scholar and all your textbooks are online you don't even have to like have a hard cover and in my basement I have boxes I'm a book hoarder and there's textbooks I'm like I just can't get rid of it yet I probably never I just gotta deal with it and I just haven't <laughs> I just made a joke uh, to the U17 basketball team I coach I made some joke about a rotary phone <laughs> one of the kids is like what's, what's a rotary phone party line <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh uh, now I'm getting to that I'm only 30 what the heck's happening but no no it's definitely definitely a different time and it's not that everything's all butterflies and peaches and but it seems like we're going in a good direction and in a lot of different things especially in canada i would say in some in some ways it's a it's a, a unique time mm -hmm. uh, we're in transition with a lot of uh, uh culture wars identity politics mm -hmm. things that we're navigating through but not unlike the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. or even early 80s it's just it's just different mm -hmm. um we'll land somewhere in the middle i think we always do yeah you know I, I think that um, one thing, you know, social media has added a different uh, polarizing effect to our conversations. Mm -hmm. I think we're lacking a bit of civil discourse out there. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to be left or right or somewhere somewhere in the middle. It's just like be kind to each other, mm -hmm. you know. And I was listening to a good uh, TED talk the other day about uh, having empathy for the person who's disagrees with you mm -hmm. coming to a space. I, I've been reflecting on that this week. I'm like. 
okay, how can I be better, right? And then we don't get so, oh, they're over there, and just they're all crazy, you know. Maybe they're not. Maybe there's a reason why they're thinking that way, and we just have to go to that space of having empathy and find out why. I need to watch this video because that aligns with my thoughts so much. I just had someone um, that I worked with a couple weeks ago say to me, like, you know, we get phone calls working in the media. We get phone calls from every type of person, um, some mean, some very pleasant, left, right. It doesn't really matter. But he came up to me and he was just like, I don't know, understand how you can sit and have a civil conversation with someone who's on the right thing, having a specific issue. And legitimately, what you just said is my thing is, well, you got to listen to them. Mm-hmm. I can't just judge them right off the bat. Like you, like you said, there has to be a reason or, you know, maybe we can agree to disagree, right? Like I don't have to be a nasty person or as the kids say, the internet troll, you know what I mean? Like I want to talk to people and I want to see why you think that way. And at the end of the day, if you're just giving me a middle finger and I'm, I'm just going to say, okay, well, we'll agree to disagree. And, and that's the way it is. But yeah, no, that's, I need to get that TED talk from you for sure, for sure. Cause that's aligns with me hundred percent. Yeah. I think we um, come from a place of understanding one skill that I've had to learn over the years uh, and I have to practice is, is uh, listen to hear and understand mm-hmm. and not listen to respond. Yeah. Um, not always successful in that. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, it's easier said than done for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that to me, I've been really reflecting on, um, you know, how do we uh, find that middle space again where we can all talk uh, like pre-COVID, you mm-hmm. know, that really brought out a lot of, um, brought to the surface a lot of tensions and, maybe their fears, I'm not sure, right, you know, but coming to that place to understand, and we have friends that are, you know, on a different spectrum than us, mm-hmm. we still love them, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, they're still good people, yeah. we're all different, left, right, center, it doesn't matter, Exactly. it uh, doesn't matter your skin color, your mm-hmm. gender, you know, or how you identify, mm-hmm. um, I think it's just like, and this goes back to just being kind, and and we're all human beings, we all yeah, share the humanity, planet, yep, yep. and uh, finding that space where we can uh, drop some of the vitriol and, and, and be kind to each other and just, like you said, agree to disagree and, and go from there. And I think, uh, I, I appreciate the work. I think the elders and the, and the leadership at Doig have really role modeled that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think every day I'm very fortunate to work with kind people, you know, and, uh, and not to like say, uh, take kindness as weakness, but you know, kindness as a strength, as an asset, mm-hmm. right? Well, last question I have here for you, Shona. We went over a bit, but that's fine. Lots to edit. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I don't think there's a lot to edit. Uh, maybe a few things, probably what I said. But um, my last question, we asked this to, to every guest. Um, maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, what does reconciliation mean to you? Oh, my goodness. That's deep. <laughs> um, I think reconciliation to me is, uh, is having that conversation about the past understanding it, you know, appreciating it, and finding ways how we can work together in the future. It, like we talked about earlier, it's mm-hmm. not overnight. Uh, reconciliation is a process. Um, and it, it, it took a long time for what happened, you know, like when we think about the Indian Act and mm-hmm. colonization and assimilation and, you know, going back to, you know, just when they came over, um, explorers. So that didn't happen overnight. But so unpacking it and reconciling it, mm-hmm. it's it's going to take some time. Yeah. It's and not even going to just take a decade, right? Like oh, it's going to take a while. For sure. And mm-hmm. that's okay. 
you know what? If, if, if the fact that we're just having conversations about reconciliation, that's better than we were a decade ago, right? And uh, perspective on it. But yeah, reconciliation means a lot of different things to different people. And uh, I don't think it's like one finite, finite item. We're, we're done. We're, rec we're we've resolved. It's 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 going to be a work in progress. Well, thank you so much, Shona. I appreciate you sitting down and, and talking with me today, kind of uh, with a less than a week's notice. So I really do appreciate it. Uh, it's been a crazy month here. And uh, I also just wanted to take this time too to say like earlier, I was talking about the relationship energetic myself um, have had with Doig over the, the past couple of years. And I think uh, you're a big part of that. And I want to thank you, you know, you guys don't need to talk, but it seems like, you know, whenever we want to chat, anyone from Doig is, is, is here to talk with us. And I think Lacey's a big piece of that too, because now you have the time or, well, now she, you have someone who can, who can respond to us because you've been so, so busy the past couple of years. But yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for sure, because, you know, media isn't always loved, <laughs> especially nowadays, but we're to, for local media to have that support from, from Doig and, and from other First Nations too, not just mm -hmm. Doig, um, is, is definitely awesome. Yeah, local media is important. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an important medium where we can uh, build bridges and share and uh, and we can exchange ideas and support mm -hmm. each other and uh, we're, we are all here together so I think having the facts mm -hmm. always helps right you know and I th and uh, no we appreciate you guys too uh, we the media that we had like 10 15 years ago it, you know not as positive mm -hmm. and and now it's good right you know and the community gets to learn and uh, learn about Doig, mm -hmm. you know, and other First Nations. Exactly to your point, like there are some very talented people within yep. Treaty Eight territory, smart, mm -hmm. uh, accomplished, and we're lucky to have them in our communities. Right? They just add to the vibrancy of of the North Peace or Northeast region. Make sure you guys subscribe to the Before the Peace using your favorite podcast app or at energeticcity.ca backslash podcast. If you have a guest or a program idea, email us at beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca or you can hit us up on social media at beforethepeace on Instagram and beforethepeace underscore on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.